0: enough, but it is an honor to serve God. It is not a hard thing for me to, to love God and to serve God. For a lot of people, it's a drudgery. It's, it's something that they have to force themselves to do. Force, to me, uh, forcing myself to love God would be like me forcing myself to love my children. I don't have to think about loving my children. There, it's something that is birthed in me. There's something that is so uh, far in me. It's, it's part of me. And when you, when you begin to love the fact that you love God, it becomes part of you. And when it's part of you, you, don't, you, don't, uh, you won't fail so easily. You won't just go out and mess up so easily. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. But when you love God, just because you love Him, you're going. You're you're just gonna live right. You're gonna talk right. You're gonna be right. And I, I I love the fact that I I serve a God that is alive. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles open to the Book of Genesis six, I'm gonna read some lengthy. Scripture this evening. I'm going to try to get through it. Um, this is something that that has really, truly been on my heart lately, and I I don't know how it's, it's going to come out, but I, I feel uh, feel strongly about it. And uh, when I feel this strongly about it, I'm I, I, I'm excited about telling you, but I, uh, I'm a bit nervous about it because. I'd, I want to do do it justice, and God God has been talking to me about some something. Have your Bibles, oh, you already said that. I told you I was excited genesis six twelve through sixteen and God looked upon the earth and beheld it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth, and God said unto Noah, the end of the, all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence. Through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood, room shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it the length of the ark shall be three hundred cubits, and the breadth of, the, of it fifty cubits, and the height of it thirty cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in the cubit shalt thou finish it above. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof. With the lower and second and the third stories shalt thou make it. Genesis nine eleven through twenty one. I will establish my covenant with you. This was after after the flood, after God had brought them through of Mo, uh, uh, Moses. Noah and his family come through, and God came to him, and he said to Noah, he said, "I will establish my covenant with you, neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a, of a flood, neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth." And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me." And you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations, I do set my bow in the cloud, bow excuse me, bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. He showed him a rainbow, and it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the boat shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all the flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, This is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. And the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth. And Ham is the father of Canaan. These are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. And Noah began to be a an husbandman, and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and was drunken. God showed him a promise after he diligently worked. For decades, he was faithful to God for decades. And God showed him the promise. And then he got drunk. Proverbs 29 and 18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. I want to preach to you just for a little bit on this thought. Don't let your vision die. Don't let your vision die. Uh, You may be seated. The Word of God is already blessed. I'm kind of pushing for time. About 350 years ago, a a shipload of travelers landed on the northeast coast of America. Does anybody remember that? Do you? Sister Kim, do you remember that? The first year, Sister Kim was there, they established a town site. The next year, they elected a town government, you remember. The third year, the town government planned to build a road five miles westward into the wilderness. And in the fourth year, the people tried, desperately tried, to impeach their their own town government because... They thought it was a waste. Uh, they thought it was a waste of public funds to build a road five miles westward into a wilderness. They kept asking the question very adamantly: Who needed to go there anyway? This is where we're, we this is where we base out of. Why do we need to go that far? Here were people that had a vision to see three thousand miles across an ocean. And they overcame great hardships. They overcame sicknesses. They overcame death just to get to America. But in just a few years, they were not able to see even five miles out of, out of town. They had lost their pioneering vision. Vision will carry you as far as you allow it to, to carry you. If we do not have a vision... We will die. We will not have anything to work towards if we don't have vision because vision is the ground in which we catapult our faith from. The Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Vision is the capacity to create a compelling picture of the, of the desired state of affairs that inspires people to respond, that which is desirable, which could be, should be, and which is obtainable. In this last day that we live, we need men and we need women of God to carry on the vision of the revival that our fathers and our grandfathers fought and died to cast. We don't need people like the ten spies that that came back, after they went to Canaan and they came back, the Bible says they didn't come back with a negative report, but the negative report was was called an evil report. They said that it was impossible to take the land because there's giants there and we can't go there because we're going to have to uh, cross the Jordan, which they had forgotten that God had brought them across from the Red Sea. And they remember, they complained. They said, let us go back into Egypt. They had enough faith and enough vision to go back into Egypt. But they didn't have enough faith and enough vision to go forward across the Jordan. The fact remains, do you realize what God would have had to do to let them back into Egypt? Negative faith. Is just as po- powerful as positive faith. I- I'm convinced, Brother Fox, that if they would have turned around and walked back to that Red Sea to enter into Canaan or to, to Egypt, I believe that their faith would open back that Red Sea back up and God would have let just let them go back. That's how powerful negative faith. It's just as easy to believe the positive things. It's just as easy to believe a positive vision as it is to believe a negative vision. I am so sick and tired of a church without vision. I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about the dead churches that you drive by and uh, the signs have fell down and their parking lots have grown up. They don't have any vision. They don't want revival. I don't want to be a part of a church that does not cast a positive vision. I want to be like Joshua and Caleb. The fact was there was two of them. And usually, usually nine times out of ten, it's the less, the less uh, amount of people that say, yeah, it's possible to take, it's possible to, to conquer. But we just have a handful. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. That's the vision casting that God is looking for. doesn't matter how many there are, just as long as there's somebody willing to stand up. We need a godly vision in this last day. The godly vision is right for the times, Right, it's right for the church, and it's right for His people. If there was ever a right time to have a godly vision, that time is right now. We do not have time to let the enemy steal our vision from us. That same spirit that stole the vision from Samson has become all too common in this last day. And that, that spirit begins with uh, being careless. He Samson was careless with his calling. He was careless with the gifts that God gave him. And therefore, because he was careless with his vision, the Bible says that the enemy stole his vision. Whatever we do in life, don't mismanage the calls of God in your life. Don't ever waste the talent. And am I in an apostolic church? Don't ever waste what God has called you to do. If you're sitting on a pew and God has called you, you better not waste that calling. Because just like Samson was careless with his calling, and careless with his vision, the Bible says that he lost it and he ended up dying. Without a vision, people perish. Godly vision promotes faith rather than fear. We don't have to be intimidated by about what God has called us to do. We have hid in fear long enough. I remember there was a time in my life when when uh, it was it was uh, years ago, but I remember when brother robertson he, he gathered the ministry in, in the, off, or the where the women pray right and uh, It used to be a, a, a bigger place didn 't it correct me if i 'm wrong It used to be a real long I remember the ministers gathering there. Uh, elder was up here, uh, he was there, and there was a lot of other ministry in there, and he went around the room and he said, uh, tell me what you think God called you to be. And I remember, I remember uh, that know, I knew what God had called me to do. I knew it. And I was afraid to admit it because I felt inadequate. And I didn't have any... Uh, Any uh, confidence in anything. Uh, I remember uh, when he said, What do you believe, Brother Adam, that God has called you to do? I said, Well, I know I'm called to preach. Uh, He called me to be an evangelist. (laughs) That's the furthest thing from my calling is to be an evangelist. Motorhome. And all the time, I knew that God had called me to pastor. He spoke that to me very clearly, and uh, because He didn't send some prophet, I was afraid to tell me that. I was afraid to admit it. I I clamored down, and I I remember uh, that uh, I just, I just said it. He looked at me. I remember the the surprise on his face. I, I know him like a book now. I can look back and remember that face. He didn't believe it. And he, he, he just didn't believe it. And I didn't either. But I was intimidated. I remember uh, Brother Elliot, he came. Uh, this is really hard to admit. I'm just bearing my soul and being honest. I remember Brother Elliot, he came, and there was a Section 4 youth rally. He said, Brother Healy, he said, I want you to uh, bring everybody up, and I want you to bring everybody to the front, the Section 4 youth rally, and I want you to bring everybody up and, rep- and have everybody repent. And he said, we're going to bring into worship. And... Uh, I said, man, I'm not feeling well. Because I didn't, I got sick. No confidence. Was scared to death. And uh, I said, but man, I said, my brother Micah, he's an incredible preacher. You ought to have him. And I was scared to death. <sighs> but I realized that I hid, had hid long Enough. This was not my call. This was God's call on my life, and I had to finally come to the realization that I'm nothing to myself but through the blood of Jesus. I can finally had, I can do all things through Christ. Jesus. When God told Moses, he looked at Moses, he said, "I want you to go to Egypt." He said, I want you to tell Pharaoh to release my people. Moses did the very same thing that I did that night. He said, I don't think that I can go because I don't think that I would be adequate for the job. I'm scared. For I don't speak just right. You know what God did? He didn't baby him. He didn't argue with him. You know what he said? Okay, if you won't do it, I'm going to send your brother. I don't want anybody, when I say this, I'm not going to say this in a haughty way, infringing on what God called me to do. I don't want somebody else stealing my blessing. And I kind of wonder if that's why, and I know there's other reasons. Some of you Bible scholars, I know you'll have your own opinion. But I think this played a big part in Moses' confidence. I think that that had a lot to do with whether he entered into the promised land. God had spoke to him. He said, I want you to go. And he said, no. Because he let his fear interfere with his vision. And for so long, the apostolic church, uh, I'm talking to you. I'm not talking about it as a whole. I'm talking to people in here. You've let your fear dictate your future. And you've let it get in the way in what God has called you to do. And I'm telling you, it is time to kick fear out the door. And let God use you. I don't care if you talk right. I don't care if you're the greatest Bible study teacher in the world. I don't care how inadequate you feel when you step into a Sunday school room. Listen, they need you. People need you. I don't care how inadequate you feel. It is the call from God. Don't be fearful from doing what God has called you to do. Godly vision motivates people to action. I cannot find a greater example of someone to take action with a more godly vision than Abraham. God, He spoke, put yourself into the shoes of Abraham. God spoke and He said, Take thy son, thine only son, and give him to me by a sacrificial offering. There was no account in the scripture of Abraham arguing with God, he never said, No, God, I, I don't want to do it. I, I just, it's, it's, just be reasonable. He took action. The Bible says, Him and the lad went up yonder. Someone asked where he was going. He said, Me and the lad's going to worship. He tied him down. And because he was so willing, to cast and fulfill the vision that God called him to do. He never questioned it. He never argued with God. How many of you how many of us are guilty? When God says, This is what I want done, this is how I want it done, this I want you to I, I want you to do it this way. And how many times we say, Well, but God, don't you understand? There's a better way to do it. Is that your, what you say? That's what she says. Speak for yourself, Evans. Without question. I mean, think of the magnitude. I believe he was in full stride. He was... Something grabbed him. And because he was willing to fulfill the vision without any question... God intervened. And He said, He supplied Himself a sacrifice. That was intimate. That was an intimate time between God and Abraham. He Himself came. A lot of times we... We, we, we fail to have those times with God because we are so apprehensive about listening to His Word and fulfilling the call in our life. I hope I'm saying it right. Godly vision requires risk at times. You think about, you think about some of those people that started the revival and through Azusa Street and the people that laughed at them. They, I mean, come on, build a church, you bunch of crazy people. Uh, Brother, it was a Brother Suey, Brother Davis started a church in the middle of a cornfield. In the, in in a little, there was a small town, what town is that, you know? In the middle of a cornfield. In a, in a, within, outside the city limits of a small town and he's got six or seven hundred people. Talk about vision casting. Most people wouldn't go somewhere like that and build a church. You're either crazy, or you've heard from God. If David would not have taken the risk to walk down into the valley to face Goliath, the people of God would have become a part of a heathen nation. He was willing to risk his life for the sake of a godly vision, and because of it, God elevated him and he became a king. Don't ever be fearful to give more, uh, 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 more of yourself, and sacrifice your own vision and sacrifice your own wants and at dreams and aspiration for the call of God. Don't be afraid to risk your earthly possessions for the sake of eternal, uh, for eternal possessions because when you do God will always exalt you in that season and God will make your enemies fall and God will make you be successful. Hallelujah. Godly vision glorifies God and not people. You hear me this night. God Vision never glorifies people, but it always points to Jesus. There are too many folks, they want credit for revival. There are too many people that are intoxicated with their own talents, and they're intoxicated with their own abilities. And instead of worshiping and leading worship, they, they, they uh, perform. And instead of preaching with anointing, they get up here and they perform. And they got pretty words and pretty sermons. And there's no anointing. God's vision always points to Calvary and points to Jesus and never says, look at me. I'm the best thing going. It always points to Jesus. Hell, man. This church is about Jesus. It's not about who can preach better. It's not about who can sing better or teach Sunday school better. This is God's church. Say it's God's church. It's our our vision must be in union with His vision. And it should support His will and it should be backed by His Word. If your vision in life goes against the very fabric of the Word of God, your vision's wrong. If your vision of salvation is any other way than Acts 2.38, baptism and repentance and Holy Ghost, then you're wrong. Your vision does not line up with His vision. Yeah, I'm on Facebook. You can punish me later, Sister Robertson. But I posted something today, man. I'll tell you what, I know there's a bunch of people... Biting at the bits, and I loved saying it. I said, "One Satan and three gods." I don't think so, because I hear people all the see people all the time, and it's pretty much people that I know back home that that are trinitarian and they believe in three gods. I want to just just get sick on it and listening to it all the time. And finally, we we've got to stand up in this last day and tell than the truth. Because if somebody don't cast vision, I don't know how you're going to feel about this, but I said it. I told my son the other day, I said, if your teacher tells you that evolution's the truth, you tell him that I said he's lying. Because that doesn't line up with the vision of this. And they're teaching our kids in school lies. And they're teaching them uh, uh, evolution is the truth. I, don't, I may be uh, uh, ugly, but I don't look like I come from a monkey. And it infuriates me that our tax dollars are paying our teachers to teach a lie. And they refuse to let our kids pray in the school. That does not line up with the vision of the church. And the truth, truth is not based on an opinion. Years ago, when I, was a, when I was a kid, if you said that there was eight planets, you would have been fired if you was a teacher. But all of a sudden, the textbook changed. And now there's eight planets. Was it Pluto's, the... Pluto, poor Pluto. And now, if you said that there was eight planets, if you was a teacher, they would fire you. Because it didn't line up with their philosophy and their opinions, and they think it's truth. Truth never changed. There's eight planets. It's probably more than that, but my point is their vision is always changing. You look out for people in the church and you stay away from them. That their vision and their doctrine and their ideologies is always changing. That's the people that you want to stay away from. Galatians 1 and 8 says If ye or an angel preach anything other than what I preach, you let them be damned. Don't get caught up in someone else's foolishness and lies. All right, I'm running out of time. I'm going to preach. I want you to imagine something. Imagine God giving you the complicated instructions to build an ark to save your family. In, this, in a wicked world, Noah he had found grace in the sight of God. And he was given what seemed to be impossible instructions to build a boat. We find in the verses of 14 and 16 that God told Noah how to build the ark. He said, so make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in it and uh, coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. He was telling him very distinct instructions. Uh, The the ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 foot high. Make a roof for it and and finish the ark to within eighteen inches at of the top, put a door in the side of the ark, and with lower and second and third stories shalt thou make it i 've seen some of these people make uh they they're they're trying to prove they 're proving that which you don't have to try to prove its truth that there was truly an ark and they they build this this is what this is how the devil slips in they build these these arcs to uh then you know, smaller scales and they say this is what it looked like. They had four or five doors and, and forty windows. Yeah, it looked like the carnival cruise liner that the Gaithers go on up in up in Alaska. Dishwashers and soda pop fountains. But that, that's how they—that's that, how the enemy slips in. He—he he, the, the, the Bible says that there was one door, wasn't there one window? But these Christians, they come out and they—they they put. And they, this is how it was, children. This is cool. They try to make it cooler, you know. What amaze, amazes me the most about Noah, besides his ability to follow the directions. I mean, could you imagine the 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 mind that he had and the patience that that Noah had? He 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 was so precise with everything. He he had to he had to go exactly by the instructions in which God had given him. He he didn't. He he had to have someone. Where do you start? Where do you start to build a boat 450 feet long? 75 foot wide and 45 foot tall. Where do you start? I'll tell you where you start. You have to clear out a field that would adequately fit that. So he, did, he, just, he had to go through and he had to cultivate the ground to set that thing up. He, he, he had to dig, dig uh, the roots and stumps out so he could have level ground to work from. I mean, think about the things that he had to go through. And, and not, only, not only just to get the mental picture of it or the vision, he, he had to, to deal with, with, with the measurements and keeping his three goofy sons. Could, I couldn't imagine taking Ethan and Jacob and Tyler out to build an ark. I went out to my car this morning to put my gloves on to go to work, and Tyler had filled my gloves up with small rocks and sand. Could you imagine the frustration? Ham, I told you. He's such a ham. ham I told you not to do that. I told you. And, and, and not only his children, but his wife. Are you sure that God spoke to you? Come on, Noah. You, are you serious? You got you got other stuff to do. You can't, even, you can't even build that fire pit that I told you to build. Are you serious? No, what about the, the schooling of the children? What, what about this and what about that? And the mental draining that he had. And not only that, that he, I don't know if his, his father was around. Probably, maybe, probably not. But his, his aunts and his uncles and his cousin and, and everybody that walked by looked at him and the, the people that he loved and loved him, they would, constantly, they would constantly scold him and laugh at him and berate him. And they would just... It, the mental draining. But he kept working. And his saw kept sawing. And he, he, and his measuring tape kept measuring. And he just constantly worked for decades and decades. I don't know how long it was. 50 or 70 years, Whatever. And he was so precise about what God had called him to do. And his vision, the vision that he had, was so great. And I'm sure that he, he loved what he did. I feel the Holy Ghost. And finally, that wonderful but yet dreadful day came. Notice the Bible says, Noah, come into the ark. He didn't say go in into the ark. He said come into the ark. Where would God have to be? He had no problem going into the ark. He built it with his hands and his kids' hands, and he was proud of it. And all of a sudden it started raining. God shut the door. You hear the people beating on the ark. Bitter yet great day for him. His family saved and he goes through it. And he he, days and 40 days and nights it rained. and I don't know how long he was really on the ark. But finally it's settled. And here he is on Mount Ariat. And sends out a, the birds. And finally... The day came that he got to go out. He builds an altar unto God. And God shows him the promise and a covenant. And after God shows him, now listen to me, this is what God has been dealing with me about. After God showed him the promise, intimacy, he gets drunk. And I believe that is why so many times God doesn't reveal those promises and covenants to us. Because in my opinion, this is my opinion, I believe that inside of Noah's mind and in his heart, that Noah felt like he had arrived. And once he felt like he had arrived, he quit. Because he had nothing else to work for. I believe that working on that ark was like the carrot in front of that mule that you see. That they tie on to that mule. You ever seen those old farmers tie that carrot on that mule? And he keeps walking, and he keeps walking, and walking, and walking. And that carrot, he never gets the carrot, but it never keeps him from walking. And I can guarantee that when if that farmer would have walked up there and cut that carrot off and handed it to that, that mule, that mule would stop working. And that's why sometimes God doesn't reveal special things to us because He knows that we'll stop working. I, it was His vision that kept Him going. It was his vision that kept him going. And I want to tell you this. I know I'm running out of time. That I believe the reason why Noah just sat down and he quit and he got drunk was because his past vision, his past vision was greater than his future vision. He could only show that ark to his grandkids that come after for so long. And before long, everybody else got uninterested. Yeah, Grandpa, we've heard that story before. We've seen the ark. But this is where we kept the rhinoceros. This is where we kept the alligators. This is where... Yeah, Grandpa, you told us that. That's where you kept the sheep. We know. We know. And finally, Noah, he says, I have nothing else to offer because the best part of me is behind me. And because he sat down, you listen to me, because he sat down and he got drunk, out of that came a curse to his own son because he allowed his past, his past vision was greater than his future vision what are you saying brother Hill I believe Noah should have got up after God gave him that promise and said okay God what else do you want me to do what else do you want me to do okay we built a church That'll seat 350 people. Let's take a breath. And let's, let's, we, we've already done this. We've, oh, We've already seen our children saved. But what about somebody else's children? What about building a bigger building to house more people? See, the problem is with people is that sometimes their past is far greater than their vision they see in the future. So they give up, and they quit, and they get complacent in their spirit. That's why churches are not having a revival. Because you've heard them. Well, you remember when we used to have revival. You remember when we used to do this and we used to do that. Well, let me tell you something. Used to ain't good enough. Last Sunday night service was good, but that's not good enough. Because we're going to have a greater service Sunday night than we did last week. And guess what? The time after that, we're going to have greater church than ever before. Fifty Bible studies aren't good enough. We're going to teach more next year. And then the next year, until this thing snowballs and God comes back and gets His church, I'm not going to sit down and quit. I'm not going to allow my past to be greater than my future. So, One of my biggest fears in ministry is for somebody to think that my better days are behind me. I, I don't want that. If I get too old and I can't preach, I want to I go to bed at night and say that I, my grandkids are saved and my great-grandkids are saved. I, I, I don't want to just let the vision die with... With with Brother Robertson or the men, the elders of the church, I I want to see young men come up. I got to thinking about something the other day. I told my wife. I said I said when I was a kid, I used to I loved music and and I would play for hours. And I still you walk in my house, I got two guitars sitting out. My wife, it frustrates her and. I, but I love music. I was born and raised with it. And all my family play and they either play the piano or the drums or, or uh or the guitar and I, I just love music. And I remember growing up that there were six drummers in our church. Brother Sullivan had to kick us back down to the altar. He would yell at us and say, You're not coming up here to play the drum. We fought to get up there at altar call. It's kinda of, it's a joke among some of our the the kids I grew up with, we talk about it. But we, we used to have we used to have vision and 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 want to raise up new new uh, musicians. What what would happen if if uh, the aliens come down and took Brother Manley and Sister Tyner? Who would uh, I'm asking you? Who would play? I'm walking on treacherous ground right now. If something happened to four or five of the ministers in the church, who would stand up in this pulpit and preach? What I'm saying is, I remember when there was a time... When kid, the kids growing up, they had a desire to do things. It, it's, it, I don't think it's the kids' fault. It's the adults' fault for not showing them vision and saying, You can do it. You can be a better piano player than I am. You can be a better preacher than I am. You can do it. You can do it. Let's stand to our feet. I, I, want, I, want to have, I want to have the vision of a bigger not just bigger, but a better church than we were 15 years ago or yesterday or today. I'm not there's, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with us today, but we've got to strive to be better than we were. Because I'm going to tell you the mentality of, well, we're just all right right now when we're this and... I like those old songs, Brother Fox. I love I See the Crimson Stream of Blood and all that. But I've been to church. I was at a church not too long ago that 40 people played the tambourine. And they only had 39 people. I was the only person that didn't have a tambourine. And the Sunday school class, they brought the banner up. Do you know those little banners, the little blue banners? And each Sunday school class won a prize for bringing the most visitors and giving the most offering. We used to do that when I was four. And they got up and they sang, I'll fly away. And they had really good musicians. But for some reason, they were stuck on, I'll fly away and hold the fort. I'm not talking about doing rap music. I'm talking about progression, having a vision, and not letting our past Dictate our future and be complacent of who we used to be. I give Sister Krause props for getting up here every other week, whatever, and having new songs. And and, and some of you are like, I don't know the words of this. I'm but we're having new words. That's what we do. And I love it that we have a pastor that gets up, and even though he's preached for 25 years, he still preaches new messages. And has new vision. I want to have new vision. I want to be better than I was. And am I the only one? Hallelujah. Let's, let's pray before we leave here that God would, would give us the desire to have new vision. God, I pray that you would birth in us a vision better than our past vision. God, help us not to be complacent or be comfortable of what we were yesterday or even today. God, I pray that our services would be greater than they were in the past. And I pray that we would teach more Bible studies than we did last month. God, help us to not get complacent in just being ordinary or being normal, but God, help our vision vision to grow and help it to be one with yours. In Jesus' name, God, we love you. God, we thank you for your power and your Holy Ghost and your strength. We bless your holy name. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah.